For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's pray. God, I pray that You would add Your blessing not only to the reading of Your Word, but also to this proclamation. Help us to leave this morning knowing that because we live for Christ, to die is gain. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Last week we examined the first half of this verse, to live is Christ, or literally, we saw in the Greek, to live Christ. This, will look, this week we'll look at the second half. To die, gain. I would venture to say that every one of us has spent a significant time thinking about death. We might be asking the questions, How will I die? When will I die? What will it be like to die? How will I react when it comes time for me to die? In regards to that last question, how will I react when it comes time for me to die? I want to give sincere compliments to the pastors that preceded me at Westminster. I've had the privilege of walking with several members of Westminster as they found out that they were about to die. And they instinctively, in every case, fixed their eyes on Jesus and they rejoiced in Him. I think I would especially point to Jack Graham's ministry. Uh, he was uh, here for the longest period, I think, of, of most of your time here at Westminster. I think also uh, his, the death of his wife um, equipped him to be especially effective in teaching our congregation how to die with a full assurance of faith. Now, thoughts of death typically lead to morbid and uneasy um, feelings. Some people let their imaginations run wild when fear grips them. Other people try and suppress and avoid thoughts of death as if ignoring death will lessen its likelihood of happening to them. But thoughts of death don't need to be morbid. They don't need to be uneasy. If your confidence is in Jesus Christ. Very early in my Christian life, I read a sermon by Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher. And he was talking about the certainty of his salvation. And he said that he was so certain of his salvation that he would gladly swing out over a pit of hell, over the pit of hell, on nothing more than a piece of sewing thread and laugh at Satan in his face. That's how certain he was of his salvation. I've adopted that same outlook on death. And actually, I believe that this outlook on death is really in line with what the Bible tells us to think about death. I spent a whole week thinking about death and, of course, preparation for this sermon, but I've not had one depressing or, or, or gloomy thought in fact, really, I'm more upset and, and, and bummed out about my beloved Atlanta Hawks being eliminated from the playoffs than I am about uh, 
my eventual death. But my point is that I'm driving at is that for Christians, death is a friend that will usher us into the presence of our great and glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. I love how the way Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 puts it. It says, Since children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity, so that by His death He might destroy Him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those, this is what I want you to really hear, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You see what he's saying? He's saying Jesus came and overcame death and overcame the evil one so that we can be free from ever having to fear death again. I believe it would be helpful for us to focus on the first two words of this phrase we are considering this morning. We're considering the phrase, to die is gain. And I just want to focus on these first two words, to die, for a few minutes. And I want to use these words, to die, as an opportunity to give us a short and practical theology of death. First of all, we can't get any more practical than to say that death is a certainty. It's a certainty from all of us, from the oldest to the youngest. The only way that we can we can ever escape death is if our Lord Jesus comes back during our lifetime. Of course, every generation believes that the Lord Jesus is going to come back during their lifetime. Every generation believes they are the last generation, that Jesus is going to come back while they're still alive. And of course, every generation has been wrong. If you were to pin me down, I would say it is my best guess that He's not coming back for the next several generations. Because I'm looking for the Gospel to continue to spread and grow. I'm looking for the Gospel to, um, to, to thrive here on earth. For King Jesus to rule from shore to shore. And I believe that the power of the Gospel is so powerful that it can indeed do that. But at the same time, I long and pray for our Lord Jesus to come back. I pray that continually. Come back today, Lord. Come back soon. I long to see You face to face. I believe that it is unwise just to say, since I mentioned the coming of the Lord, I believe it's unwise to fail to plan for the future because you have an ill-founded, and I use that word ill-founded, belief that He's going to come during your lifetime. I say ill-founded because the Lord Jesus says no one knows when He is coming back. And I think we need to take Him seriously on that. So it's unwise not to plan for your future. I believe it is very wise to plan for your death. I believe you need to make that a priority. But I'm not saying that I'm not saying you've got to go out and plan your funeral 
and choose your favorite hymns that are going to be sung at your funeral and buy a burial plot. That's not what I mean when I say you need to plan your your death. Um, I, I don't think it's a bad idea um, to plan in those those ways. I've planned uh, many um, a person's funeral before they died. In fact, it's a joy to sit down and talk with someone about how they want their their funeral to be conducted. Um, but I mean something else. Whether you die or whether you are around when the Lord Jesus comes back, you must stand before the judgment. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, Man is destined to die once, and after that, to face the judgment. It seems like I've quoted that a few times over the past few months. Um, and uh, it just seems to keep coming back up. I think it is important. You must plan. If you have not made preparations to face Jesus on the day of judgment, that must be your highest priority. In fact, I would say you should not even wait through the rest of this sermon to cry out to Jesus. Um, if you've not yet made uh, those plans, make it your first priority. No one here this morning is guaranteed to make it home safely. <laughs> not even the McKinney's. And all they have to do is walk over, you know, the short walk over to their house. Scripture underscores this need to be prepared to face judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it is good or evil. We are going to stand before, that, before the, the great and glorious judgment seat of Christ. And we are going to be judged by God who knows our every secret action, our every secret word, our every secret thought and intention. And I guarantee you, every one of us will be found wanting. And then listen to what happens to everyone who is found wanting. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8-10 describes what it's going to be like for those who are unprepared on that day. The Scripture says, He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the Gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with an everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power on the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Of course, the only way to be prepared for that day is to flee to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your refuge. The judge of all mankind left the judgment seat, came here to earth, sat in the place of judgment when He was nailed to that cross. He bore the punishment that we deserve to pay. He paid that price. We flee to Him because He was our substitute. That's the only way to be prepared to stand under His judgment. Because when you flee to Him, you are covered in His blood. You are forgiven of your sins. You are covered in His righteousness. 
You are given the full credit of His righteousness and when you are standing before them with all the sins that you have ever committed, they have been covered by Jesus. Flee to Him if you have never fled to Him before. Flee to Him even if you have fled to Him before. In fact, I'll say a little bit more about that a little later. What will it be like to die? To make this practical. You know, I've often heard a lot of things, a lot about what happens at the moment of death. In fact, there's a lot of books being written uh, about people who have died and come back to life. I don't take these books very seriously. There's also a lot of books that have been written about people who have died, who have gone to heaven, experienced heaven for an hour or so, and then came back to earth. I take those books even less seriously. Uh, so what does the Bible say about what happens when a, to a person at the moment of death? Well, first of all, your soul does not cease to exist. You have an eternal soul. And that soul does not pass away it doesn't go to sleep. It doesn't go into a state of suspended animation, if that's the right term to use. Uh, the Bible teaches that when your body dies, your soul is immediately present with the Lord. Remember the thief on the cross? Jesus told that thief on the cross, Truly, truly, I tell you, um, you will be with Me in paradise on that same day. The Apostle Paul, look here in our passage. Look at verse 23. Paul says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. See, when he knows when he dies, he's going to be with Christ immediately. He says, and of course, uh, that uh, that is far better been continuing to live. And so we'll look at this uh, at his conundrum next week. But um, And also, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6-8, through 8, Paul says, We know that while we are still at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He knows the very moment that his soul is away from the body, it is in the presence of the Lord. I fully expect that when I close my eyes in death, I will open them immediately in the presence of the Lord. And that's exciting to me. Will I have the sensation of traveling down a tunnel with a light at the end? Will my soul rise from my body so that I can look back and see uh, though, uh, see, hopefully someone grieving my death. Um, will I meet Peter at the pearly gates? Well, I doubt it. Um, you know, I don't know about those things. I don't really care. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is that I'm going to see Jesus Christ face to face and I'm going to enjoy His fellowship for all eternity. I want you to turn over a couple of chapters in Philippians to chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Listen to Paul's goal. Paul's goal is my goal. Paul's goal should be your goal. 
He says, not that I've already obtained all this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward, or we can even say heavenly calling of God in Christ Jesus. We could also ask the questions, what will heaven be like? What will we do in heaven? What age will we be when we get to heaven? Like if an infant dies in heaven, what age will they be when they are there? Will we be able to recognize each other? Will husbands and wives still be married? These are all fair questions. The Bible speaks pretty clearly to most of these questions. But alas, they are for another sermon at another time. If you want to really know, if you're, if you're angry at me for raising them and not answering them, well, my wife tells me that I can't preach everything in every sermon. So it's her fault that I'm not answering them this morning. <laughs> To continue looking forward in the passage, the Apostle says, to die is gain. To die is gain simply because Christ is the goal of our faith. That's where we ended up last week. If we gained nothing but Christ, our gain would be infinitely more than we could ever hope to attain or enjoy here in this life. Remember my reference to Samuel Rutherford? He said if all the blessings of heaven were there but Christ wasn't there, he wouldn't want to be there. Christ is the goal of our salvation. He alone makes heaven, or rather makes death, of infinite gain. Let me say, and I said it last week, let me underscore it, if you don't prize Christ, then you need to ask, do I belong to Him? Secondly, to die is gain. Because when we die, we will be made perfect in holiness. We're still sinners, even as Christians. You know, I can take suffering and persecution. I can take that in stride, although it wouldn't be easy. But what grieves me and makes my life miserable sometimes is my own sin. There is no part of my constitution where I don't find sin lurking inside me. Sometimes I grow so discouraged with my own sin, I would give up on the Christian life if it were not for Paul's words in Romans chapter 7. Paul said, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I hate, I end up doing. What a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And I say, Paul, that is my experience. And my only recourse is to flee again and flee continually to my Lord Jesus for help. And you know what? Every time I flee to Him, I always find Him there. With His arms open wide, 
ready to help me, ready to receive me in all my sin. Sometimes I say, Lord Jesus, when You knew how bad a sinner I would be, why did You elect me in the first place? And yet He reassures me of His love. And I always find in Him an ocean of forgiveness in His shed blood. I always find in Him a river of power for godliness through His Holy Spirit. But when I die, His Holy Spirit is going to remove from me the temptation to sin. He's going to take it completely away from me. And His power is going to be made perfect in me. And for all eternity, because of the Holy Spirit making me perfect, I will never sin again. Death is truly a gain. And death is also a gain because we're going to pass into glory. John 14, verse 2, the Lord Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and will take you to Myself, that where I am, you may be also. The Lord Jesus went ahead in heaven to prepare a place for us. When we get to heaven, there's going to be glory waiting for us. How did the Apostle Paul say it? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. You know, from time to time here in this life, we get to experience just a little taste of glory. You know, maybe on our wedding day, the day one of our children, or all of our children, I guess I should say, uh, were being born, different milestones in our life. You know, those of you who are Tampa, Ray, Tampa Bay Rays fans got to experience a little bit of glory when they made it to the World Series, or last year when they uh, almost miraculously made it into the playoffs against all hope. Um, but these moments are all far and few between. And they're always temporary. They're always fleeting. They're always leaving the very moment that we're experiencing them. But heaven, because of the presence of our Almighty God, is infinitely and eternally glorious. In fact, we wouldn't have the, the capacity to take it all in were we, be, were we allowed here in, in this body to experience heaven? You know, I don't really care about the streets of gold and all that stuff. What I care about is living in God's glory. Oh, it is going to be mind-blowingly good. In conclusion, let me ask, how can I be so sure that I'm going to attain it? How can you be sure that the Lord Jesus is going to be faithful to His promise and bring you to heaven? Well, there's this doctrine in the Bible called uh, the doctrine of, of our union with Christ. The Bible says that when we trust 
in, in Jesus Christ, when we flee to Him, what He does is He takes us and places us into Himself. And so here you are this morning. You've never fled to the Lord Jesus. You flee to Him. You say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. I don't have the righteousness to save me. I need You. I am brokenhearted over my sin. I come to You with nothing. Please save me. And you place your faith into Jesus Christ. And you are united to Him. Because you our brother, because Jesus Christ is the Son of God, because of your union with Him, you become a child of God. Because you have fled to Him and He is righteous, you are as righteous as He is. He gives you all of His righteousness. Because He died on the cross and paid for sins and you were in Him, all that forgiveness is now given to you. And because our Lord Jesus is up in heaven and you have been united with Him, you will go to heaven as well. You will be where He is. We're celebrating communion this morning. One of the important lessons about the communion table is the Lord Jesus is reminding us that we are united to Him. That we are in Him that we belong to Him, that He loves us, that He is taking care of us, and that He is coming back for His own because His own are in Him. As we take the communion this morning, meditate on your union with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You for death. But it is that friend that will ultimately lead us by the hand into that full and unmitigated fellowship with You where that veil is taken away where though we now see through a glass darkly at the moment of our death, if we are in Jesus Christ, we will see face to face. Oh, we long for that. We long for that so much that we are in, even impatient for our death. And we say, come back, Lord Jesus. Come back even today and take us all. For You love us that much. Father, I pray that You would encourage those who are downcast that the clouds will not forever hang over their life. God, for those who have received uh, bad news this week, as I know that there are some in this congregation who are struggling, I pray that You would remind them of the certainty of Your love. And that even if the entire world turns against them, that they have an inheritance that can neither spoil, fade, or or be taken away. And they will have life with You forever and ever that will be full of glory. Hear our prayer, for we offer it through the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.